Welcome to EM Guidewire, brought to you by the emergency medicine residents and faculty at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Welcome to the Toxidome, where your friendly neighborhood toxicologist clashes with poisons and venoms in a battle for life and death. Welcome to this week's Toxidome, brought to you by the EM Guidewire team from the Carolinas Medical Center EM Group. Today we have myself, Kyle Rodersheimer, Sean Murray, Joanna Kreefel, Kathy Kopek. Today's episode is brought to you by the different lab assays, tricking residents on the in-service exam forever, lab assays. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Kopek. As our toxicology attending here with us today, we'll be focusing on another classic emergency medicine topic, aspirin toxicity. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited to be here. Aspirin toxicity can be a scary one to manage in the emergency department. These patients are sick, and the stakes are high. How about we go over some cases? Maybe that'll ease some of my angst about it. Sounds good to me. I love practicing. Practice always seems to make perfect. Let's start with a straightforward scenario to hit the basics. Let's say you have a 23-year-old male who presents two hours after ingesting two bottles of 324-milligram aspirin tablets for a total of 200 tablets and an attempted suicide overdose. First of all, Joanna, do you remember what this patient may look like when they roll through your door? Yeah, this patient's going to look sick. They'll be diaphoretic, tachypnic, and have altered mental status. Right. Dr. Kopek, can you remind us of the pathophysiology at play? Why are they so sick? I thought aspirin was supposed to be good for you. Well, this is going to take a minute. Let's remember what aspirin does for us. The good things. It irreversibly blocks the COX-1 pathway. It modifies the COX-2 pathway. This results in decrease in inflammation and platelet aggregation. Salicylate in general is conjugated in the liver and then excreted in the kidneys, which is going to be important in its toxicity and the treatment of it. At baseline, 80 to 90% of it is protein-bound in therapeutic dosages. However, in acute toxicity, this decreases, and therefore more of the drug is going to be in the non-ionized form, and that equals badness. What kind of badness are we talking about here? Well, it interferes with the Krebs cycle, it uncouples oxidative phosphorylation, it limits ATP production, it increases fatty acid metabolism, and it causes accumulation of pyruvic and lactic acid. This uncoupling of oxidative phosphorylation produces heat, and that causes an increase in your body temperature, which is why clinically these patients will often present with a fever or a hyperthermic state. Interesting. All of this sounds like the opposite of what is supposed to happen. Just saying. Don't most of these patients come in confused and breathing fast, if I'm remembering correctly? You're right, Kyle. CNS toxicity is significant. There is direct stimulation of the respiratory center causing hyperventilation, hence the rapid respiratory rate. You'll see altered mental status and hypoglycemia in the CSF compared to the serum glucose levels. Cerebral edema can also occur secondary to leakage of the blood-brain barrier. So we're breathing fast, which leads to a respiratory alkalosis initially. Then our bodies are trying to compensate, and we develop a metabolic acidosis. This is the classic mixed acid-based picture of the acute salicylic patient. Wow, that all sounds really bad. Let's transition over to diagnosis and management in the ED. How do we solidify the diagnosis? What other things should we consider? Well, obviously your history and physical exam are going to be crucial here. This is not an asymptomatic clinical presentation. So you should see things in your exam like tachypnea, tachycardia, confusion, elevated temperature. Your laboratory testing will also help you make the diagnosis. Ideally, you're going to want to obtain a salicylate level as it will help guide your management. Yeah, about that level, isn't there something important about the units of measurement? I'm pretty sure I got a question about this wrong on my tox exam PGY2 year. Kyle, you did get that question wrong. Uh. Toxicity is measured in milligrams per deciliter, 
which is important because some labs will measure it in milligrams per liter, and you'll have to do the conversion to get an accurate level you can interpret. Super. After I remember how to do the math here, what is the clinical importance of this level? Well, clinically, tinnitus will start at about a level of 30 milligrams per deciliter. For the acute ingestion, we often talk about hemodialysis being indicated at 100 milligrams per deciliter. And for the chronic ingestion, hemodialysis is often recommended at 60 milligrams per deciliter. But it's important to remember, though, that there are other indications for hemodialysis than just a number or a level. We'll get into more of those details in a few minutes. Okay, so we'll get a salicylate level, but what other tests should we order when this patient rolls in? Other laboratory testing that may be helpful will be things like a BMP or a Chem 8. This will allow you to look at your renal function, to calculate an anion gap. Also getting a VBG or an ABG will help determine the acid-base status. Remember that we'll have a mixed acid-base picture. So we're going to have a respiratory alkalosis and a metabolic acidosis. You should also consider obtaining an acetaminophen level, uh, urinalysis, and a chest x-ray. What about an antidote? I love when toxins have these. It's so much easier that way. Is there a specific antidote for an aspirin toxicity, or how do we go about treating these patients? Unfortunately, there's no antidote. Initial treatment will start off with ABCs like any acutely ill patient that presents to the emergency department. Activated charcoal is indicated in acute ingestions, in patients who are protecting their airway, if the patient's altered, I would check an AccuCheck and correct hypoglycemia that might be present. Hypoglycemia? Why would a patient get that? Well, remember that the glucose level in the CSF is going to be less than the glucose level in your serum. So ideally, you want to keep your serum glucose level above 100. Ah, uh, that's right. What about sodium bicarb? I remember that coming into play somewhere here. I'm glad you brought that up. So probably the most important thing about treating this patient is going to be sodium bicarbonate and alkalinizing their urine. This will help combat the acidosis and help to eliminate the drug. The goal of urinary alkalinization is to trap the salicylate in its ionized state and then renally excrete it. In an acidotic environment, salicylate will be in a non-ionized state. And remember I said non-ionized means badness, so it will be allowed to cross membranes and increase toxicity. But in an alkalotic environment, salicylate will be in an ionized state and cannot cross membranes. So we trap it in the renal tubules and we can pee it out. Ah, uh, it's all coming back to me. But when we go to use that sodium bicarb, how do we dose it? Often we start with a few sodium bicarbonate boluses, but then we put them in on, on an infusion or a sodium bicarbonate drip. It's usually run at two times maintenance rate. And the goal of alkalinization of the urine is a pH level of 8.5 for the urine or 7.5 for the serum. The patient will often need a Foley and monitoring of their urine output. It's also important that you keep the patient's potassium in the mid to high normal range. Otherwise, it's going to be difficult to achieve alkalinization secondary to the hydrogen potassium transporter on the renal tubules. What about hemodialysis? You did say we'd come back to that. Hemodialysis is the next treatment option. As we mentioned before, there are some levels we use for hemodialysis cutoff, but the decision to dialyze somebody is really dependent on the clinical picture. So indications for hemodialysis are fluid overload, pulmonary edema, acid-based dysfunction that's not improving with sodium bicarbonate, severe cerebral disturbances, along with elevated levels. So I know that this patient is breathing way too fast, and that might be contributing to their somnolence and their altered mental status. It seems like we're treating the metabolic acidosis via elimination of the drug by way of hemodialysis or alkalizing their urine. What about the respiratory alkalosis? I've been using my winner's equation here, and there's something more to do. Do these patients benefit from being intubated? Intubation should really be avoided at all costs in these patients. They're breathing really fast, and it's actually helping them. They're compensating. If you intubate them, it will be very difficult to set the ventilator rate at the same rate at which the patient is breathing in front of you. So that means they will not be breathing off as much CO2, which means they're going to get more acidotic, which means there's going to be more salicylate in the non-ionized form, which means more badness and more toxicity. If you have to intubate, consider giving a couple amps of sodium bicarbonate before you do, and talk with your respiratory therapist about setting the respiratory rate as high as possible. 
Phew. Thanks for that whirlwind review. This makes me nervous just thinking about it. What about a more subtle presentation? I bet we miss a lot of cases of chronic aspirin ingestion. Yeah, what about chronic overuse? I know a lot of patients love their goodies powder, but chronic ingestion can lead to toxicity, right? What should we be on the lookout for to detect and also treat these patients? Patient history is going to be key, and we do often misdiagnose chronic uh, salicylate toxicity as patients with sepsis, delirium, fever of unknown origin. They may present with a mixed acid-based picture, but they tend not to have such an impressive respiratory rate on arrival, and they may just have metabolic acidosis. Chronic toxicity tends to happen more in the elderly patients who have more comorbidities, and also, therefore, confusing the clinical picture a little bit more. Indication for dialysis from a level standpoint is 60 milligrams per deciliter, as mentioned previously. But remember, it's not just the level that makes a decision to dialyze. It's the overall clinical scenario and picture of the patient. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Kopek, for a nice review of aspirin and the management in the emergency department. I forgot how complicated that was. Yeah, I totally agree. That's why I think it's really important that we review here. So let's summarize what we learned today. Give activated charcoal in a large acute overdose if the airway is protected. Your aspirin level is going to be key, but also make sure that you get a BMP, a VBG, and an APAP level just to screen for other co-ingestants. Patients will most often present with respiratory alkalosis and then metabolic acidosis. The treatment is supportive care, like maintaining glucose level above 100. The key therapy, though, is sodium bicarbonate infusions and potentially hemodialysis if they need it. Lastly, try not to intubate at all costs, but if you have to, maintain hyperventilation and administer sodium bicarb prior to intubation. Well, that's a wrap at the J. Lee Garvey Innovation Studios at Carolina's Medical Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. This is EM Guidewire. Thanks for listening to EM Guidewire. Go! Be awesome today. CMC out.